0: I don't think my mic was on a little while ago, so I just want to make sure I said "Hey" to Miss Dot too, as uh, she's listening this week. So, Hey Miss Dot, we're all here, excited that you're uh, worshiping with us on CD on Tuesday. So, um, think about that for just a second. You being here worshiping on Sunday affects people on Tuesday who can't always be with us. We have a group. ...of ladies that go each and every Tuesday. And they visit several of our shut-in members and they take with them a recording of our worship services. So you being here, you participating, you worshiping is not just a Sunday morning thing, but carries hope and peace and joy and and, and community to many of our long-term members who just can't be here each and every week. So uh, for that reason, I want to thank you for being here, for being part of our worship service but also for helping us uh, continue a legacy of faith in so many people's lives as as they're not able to be here on Sunday. Um, Speaking of being here on Sunday, quick announcement that we'll uh, hit again a little bit later in the service. But tonight, I don't know what you have planned, but I need you to cancel your plans for tonight. We have a very important church conference at 6 o'clock right here. So anybody got plans for the night? Yes, all of you do, being here at 6 o'clock uh, for a church conference. I just I just, I just, just set your calendar for the night. Uh, this is an important one. We have a couple of updates. We're going to be joined tonight um, by our church plant partner, Justin Schaefer from Kirkwood, uh, People's Church in Kirkwood. He's going to give us a little update about uh, his ministry and what they're doing in Kirkwood and East Atlanta, but also uh, how we've been able to come alongside and help. Several of you got to meet Justin over the summer. Um, Peg Leg Pete, as we called him a little bit, as he had that, uh, uh, that ankle busted and, uh, was kind of hobbling around, but um, an opportunity we we're hear from him. But also the kind of one of the big things is we we're going to approve the budget for the 2020 calendar year. And so we need you to be here. Um, I'm not even going to tell you what the quorum number is. You just need to be here. Okay. So your, ca- your calendar is now complete for the night, six o'clock right here. So if you've got your place in scripture, maybe you don't have your place because I haven't told you where to turn. We're going to be in 1 John. Um, if you weren't here last week, you might have missed that we were, in, if you have been here for the last three months, you might have missed that we were in 1 John right now. But we're finishing up 1 John chapter 4. And um, it's, a, it's a very uh, interesting passage that elicits hope, but also causes us to come back and think a little bit about what's going on in our lives. So let me ask you to do me a favor real quick. Um, I, I promise I'm not going to throw anything at you. I learned my lesson when I tried to break one of these lights with a Frisbee a couple of months ago. Um, So I'm not going to throw anything at you, but I need everybody to close your eyes. Close your eyes because I'm going to give you some, we're going to play a word association game for just a minute, okay? So you got your eyes closed um, and I need you to do this for me. I'm going to call out something and I want you to think of the very first thing. Picture the very first thing that comes to mind. Don't say it out loud, but just start picturing, okay? Christmas. There we go, all right amen college kid good job all right Thanksgiving thank you high school kid all right let me let me go back over the the instructions again it appears our appears our younger generation is having trouble following uh instructions this morning um which is an indictment on all of us as parents so um you don't need to call anything out loud. You're just picturing it in your mind, okay? Because it's going to get intensely more personal as we go, and you might be embarrassed if you keep calling out answers, all right? Peace. What about, what about joy? Here, here's another one for you. Christianity. Heaven. Think about heaven, that very first picture that comes to mind. God. Hell. Judgment. I don't mean Judge Alex Brown, I mean eternal judgment. Here's the last one for you. Standing before God with everything you've ever did, said, thought, felt on display. 1 John chapter 4, if you've got your place, let's read this together. Starting in verse 13, going through the end of the chapter. By this we know that we abide in him... And he in us. Because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God. God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this, love is perfected within us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, the one who loves God should also love his brother. Let's pray together. Lord God, we come into your presence because you love us. We are not here this morning because church is the right thing or the good thing to do. We are not here this morning because we thought I've got nothing else to do on Sunday. Let me drive over to First Baptist. We are not even here because we're trying to set a good example for someone. We are here because you first loved us. And you sought to make our sin problem no longer a problem. So you gave your son to be the savior of the world. That's why we're here. And Lord, it's because we know the savior that we want to set a good example. Because we do want to come together and worship. Because we do know that church is a good thing. But Lord, help us keep our priority in mind and our priority straight. That it's because of the love of God that we have all of this. But God, it's also because of your love that we can have confidence in not just this life, but the life to come. Show us how by your word this morning, and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I almost said you may be seated because a lot of times I have y'all stand up, but uh, good thing I opened my eyes before I started saying that out loud. Uh, So we get into this passage of scripture and we're looking at a couple of things. I know what you're thinking. This passage is about love. So why did we have the word association and why did you get so serious and ask about eternal judgment in hell? I I, I want to be clear as we get into this passage that um, it's not really, you know, the most comfortable thing to talk about. It's not always the, the, the most um, heartwarming conversation when we start looking at what the Bible teaches about judgment. I know you're also thinking, well, didn't you just have a sermon like three weeks ago called Confidence? Yeah, I absolutely did. Because First John is written that we might have confidence, that we might know what God's purpose and plan for us being here right now. What God's desire is for us to be able to know him, to relate to him, to enjoy him forever. And the world around us operates on shaky ground. The, the world around us can't make up its mind about what is up, what is down, what is right, what is wrong. The world around us is operating, not in a postmodern way, but in a... uh, For the first time, I almost lost it down the steps. Man, y'all been waiting for that for two and a half years, because I get my toes out there on the edge. Y'all were waiting on it to happen, and you almost had history unfold before your eyes. But not today. (laughs) Not yet today. We live in what we call a post-truth society. Let me tell you what post-truth society is. Post truth society takes the ideas of postmodernism that truth probably doesn't exist and can't really be known and says, no, actually, there is a truth, but I don't care about it. A post-truth society says, yes, that might be absolutely right and absolutely true, but I'm not going to let it affect me. I'm not going to allow it to interfere with my life. I'm still going to do what I want to do. We have no confidence as a society and as a people because we live in a world that elevates preference and pleasure over what is real and true. And therefore, passages like 1 John chapter 4 verse 13 to 21 get dwindled down to a good thing talking about love and this the central point that he is bringing with this idea of love so let's just start out and ask me ask you a question are you confident concerning eternal judgment Do you have confidence when it comes to the idea of an eternal God, a holy God, a righteous God issuing an eternal decree? At the very core of this passage, he's speaking of our confidence and he's saying, we know. See, he starts off verse 13. By this we know. More times in 1 John than any other of the, the New Testament letters, that's uh, Romans all the way through uh, the, the book of 3 John. More times in 3 John, for, excuse me, 1 John than the others, do we have the confidence that comes out. The we know, we know, we know. John is making statement after statement after statement so that believers, followers of Christ would be able to say, you know what? I know for sure. Maybe you heard an old-timey preacher say it this way. Do you know that you know that you know? See, there is confidence that comes out when we can set our feet on solid ground and that we can know what is for certain because the word of God has given us full assurance. And John comes in the center of this, qu- this passage and he says in verse 17, by this love is perfected in us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Ladies and gentlemen, we have as followers of Christ an opportunity to look at judgment with confidence. And I know you don't want to talk about judgment. And, and, and here's the deal, I get it. You've heard too many judgy sermons, right? This person's going to hell. That person's going to hell. You're going to hell. They're going to hell. Everybody's going to hell. And that's what you, you get on this and you walk away feeling so down in the dumps. And here's the deal. I, I do not, I do and I do not want you to walk away with a gloomy feeling, okay? We're going to talk about that. And you're like, well, how can you want it and not want it at the same time? Let's just talk about the reality of judgment. Let's just talk about let, let's get it out on the table, so you know where we're coming from and you know what's out there. Let's just talk about the reality of judgment. He says here in this passage that we may have confident when that day comes, when that we may be confident, have confidence when it appears. This is not written so that you walk away with your tail tucked and you're you're hiding like a dog who's been scowled, but so that you can walk away and boldly say, I know where I stand. I know what is real. I know what the word of God has said about me, but you can't get there if you dodge the idea that judgment is real. The world around you doesn't want judgment to be real the world around you, and their post-truth idea, and their post-truth mentality, they want it to all be about what I want, when I want, how I want, and your rules don't apply to me. So, So maybe you're in that boat. Maybe you've thought that the rules don't apply to you. Let's just talk for just a minute. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says that it is appointed once for man to die, and after this comes judgment. It's appointed once for you to die. You are going to die. And the Bible says the very next step is judgment. That means that every single one of you, every single one of us, is one breath, one heartbeat, one text message, one uh, not paying attention behind the wheel away from that being real. Laying the cards on the table. It's real. And you say, well, but what's that going to look like? What's 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 that? What's going to happen there? Revelation chapter twenty verses eleven through fifteen. And, and, and I know what I'm about to say might make some of you um, a little uncomfortable, um, especially if uh, you you know your eschatology and you fall into this pre-tribulation pre-millennial eschatology of the end times and Book of Revelation and you've got your Daniel seventy weeks laid out and all these things that we'll get into when we get into Revelation next year. Uh, when you get into all that, what I'm about to say might 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 make you uncomfortable because you've been taught for years and you've been taught your entire life that that Christians don't go through the judgment. Revelation chapter 20 verse 11 says, I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence heaven and earth fled away and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne and the books were opened and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds." But then the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire, which is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, they were thrown into the lake of fire. This passage seems to indicate that yes, Christians will be there, and if your name's not in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life as we like to call it, you're cast into the lake of fire. There is the day of judgment that comes for everyone. Maybe you're not convinced. Maybe you're like, well, that's that's the book of Revelation. Okay, Matthew. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 to 46. I'm not going to read the entire passage out there for you. It's a long passage, but here's what Jesus says. This is what Jesus says. So don't take it from me. Take it from Jesus, because if anybody knows what's going to happen at judgment that walked on this planet, it was Jesus, right? Jesus says, the Son of Man comes with his glory and all the angels with him, and he will sit on his glorious throne. and all the na- throne did we just hear that? And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, as the shepherd shep- separates the sheep and the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Two groups, right? What do we have in Revelation? Two groups. A group whose name was in a book and a group whose name was not in a book. And so you come in here and Jesus says, I'm going to separate you into two groups. What's well, going to distinguish between the groups? If you if you were one that followed Christ and if you were one who acted in love, he says this, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. And the righteous will answer, but Lord, when do we see you hungry? When do we see you naked? When do we feed you when we get were you thirsty we give you something to drink and he said if you did it for the least of these you've done it for me it's not the good deeds it is the faith in christ that compels the good deeds that puts you in this group of the righteous it's not that you gave your jacket to somebody it's that you said jesus clothes me and my neck in this i'm going to reach you because of what he's done for me and i'm stepping in faith and he says that's how you put your faith to action and you're in this group But all you goats. (laughs) Chewing on a tin can over here. Why are we in this group? Because you didn't do this. You didn't walk in love and faith. You didn't walk according to the way I laid out for you to walk. And like, well, but but when? Because you didn't do it for the people that were around you. And notice he says there. These will go into eternal punishment. But the righteous, those whose names were written in a book of life, to eternal life. These are the words of Jesus. There is something real. Okay, maybe you're not. Maybe Jesus didn't even convince you. Maybe you're still thinking, you know what? I think I got this beat. I, I I think I can study the answers to the test, and I think that I can go in there and I can whoop this thing on my own, right? It's kind of like the college professor that says, here you go, guys. Here is my final exam from last semester with the answers and everything included. Tell you what, why don't you study this? Because this is exactly what's going to be on the exam that you're going to take. So why don't you just study this? And you said, nah, I'm not going to do that. He gave me the answer, but I'm just going to go my own way. And I'll figure it out on my own. And you end up failing. Well, Paul says it this way. Romans chapter 14, verses 10 to 12. He says there, but you, why do you judge your brother? Again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. How's your confidence in this eternal judgment? Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 says it this way. If I can get to it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good. Or bad. Ladies and gentlemen, John writes this letter, and at the core of his discussion of love is this discussion of confidence in the face of eternal judgment. Last month, we had the Fairman Festival block party style out here, and several of you were out helping and, and being a part of it. Some of you were enjoying the festivities, and, and I was walking around. I had, had some surveys. I got them from a, a church in Noonan that they were doing on the Noonan Square one, uh, one Saturday when we were out. And I just walked up to random people and just, hey, do you mind answering a few questions? And some people would say, yeah, let's go ahead and talk. A lot of people would not. But there were 17 people that were willing to engage with me in this, in this conversation. And little com- questions. Uh, Did you grow up in church? Do you believe in God? Um, and one of the questions I asked was, um, how confident are you that you'll get into heaven? And, and, and like number one answer was 100%. And then the number two answer was um, eh, pretty confident, about 90%. And then there was another answer. It was... I feel okay about it, you know, 50 to 80%. And then there was, uh, I'm not so sure, um, you know, 10 to 40%. And then not at all, 0%. So, so, so what I found was that 15 of the 17 people that were willing to talk with me and engage on, on more than just a, hey, how are you? No, I don't want to take your survey level. 15 of them told me that they knew, that, that they believed that they were going to heaven But 15 of them believe that they only had a 50 to 70% shot of actually getting in. See, I'm bringing this passage to you in that same spirit. I don't want it to be, I'm pretty sure. I want you to have confidence when it comes to the eternal judgment. Because you you cannot step back once you get to that day and say, oh, let me restudy for the test. Let me take another shot. We need to know today, right now, are you confident? So earlier I said I do want you to be confident. But I also said I don't want you to be afraid, but I kind of do want you to be afraid. Let me ask you this question. What place does fear have in your life? What place does fear have in your life? Notice what John says when he gets into this passage. He says, by this, love is perfected with us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Because there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Why? Because fear involves punishment. I ask you the question, what place does fear have in my life? Because I want you to understand that if you experience fear, if you have that gut check of fear, when the term eternal judgment comes up, I want you to soul search and find out why. The only reason you have to be afraid is if you've got punishment hanging over your head. The only reason you have to be afraid is if you, see, this is why I do want you to be afraid. I do want you, because I want you to wrestle with that fear. I want you to say, no, no, no. The reason I'm afraid is because of punishment. Christ Jesus already took your punishment. And if you have confidence, if you say, you know, I don't have any fear because I know who died for me. I know in whom I have placed my trust, my hope, my, my security, my future. Then there's no place for fear. His love drives it away. His love removes it. His love, it says there, perfect love drives out fear. So just let me, let me just gut check you real quick. Because some of you, I believe, might have, you might deny it. You, you might try to go, uh, you try, might try to man up on it a little bit. Now I got this. I'm, I'm good. I'm cool, man. I'm good, bro. You, you try to fist bump, you can't fish bump your way out of this. You can, you, can, you can put your Sunday smile on. You can, you can be all made up and ready to go. But when you're standing before God and everything you've ever said, ever thought, ever did, ever experienced is splattered on the wall for all to see, you can't hide from it. You can't. And the author of Hebrews gives us this direct but damning passage For you today, if you say, I've got a little fear and I'll admit to it, but I'm not doing anything about it. He says this in chapter 10. If we go on sinning willfully... Having received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severe punishment do you think he will deserve deserve, who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which? he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. Translation, when you hear about a savior, a Christ who died for you and said, you know what, I'm gonna do it my own way anyway, you are spurning the very God who loves you. And how much more of a fury should you die in this rejection will you face when Christ Jesus has already bore the wrath of God for you? When Christ Jesus has already taken and drank of that cup and didn't just take a sip of it, he took it all. Every last drop of the wrath of God for you and for me. Because God loves us. This is what perfected love does. It takes away fear because we say all of that has already been poured out on Christ Jesus on my behalf. Not because I was good, not because I fed the sick, not uh, fed the sick, visited the sick, not because I fed the hungry, but because Christ Jesus carried my sin away. So if you have fear when you hear judgment, can I just press you on the fact that it's because you're trying to do it your way? You're spurning the face of God and you think, you know what, I'm going to get by. I'm going to get by on my own. Please don't do that. Hear me this morning. Do not do that. Because confidence is the expected mark of the believer. I want you to have confidence. I want you to be marked with the confidence of one who says, The cross has said it all. He says here in this passage of scripture, There is no fear in love, but perfect love Cast out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love but if this love is perfected we approach the day with confidence confidence not boastful arrogance not, not a hand to the heavens to say, God, I've got this. Bring me your best shot. No, 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 no. It is a hand lifted up that says, I confidently plea the blood of Christ Jesus. I confidently plea that the Savior who died for me is sufficient to rescue and save me from all of my unrighteousness. That's some of it. All of it. Do you have that confidence? Do you walk every day with the confidence knowing that if the worst should happen to you in this life now, he's already carried you? That is the mark of the believer. We haven't gotten to the invitation yet. Because I'm going to come back and talk to believers here in just a second. But maybe this morning you don't have that confidence. Let me go ahead and put it out there. Let's settle it today. Uh, In just a few minutes, when we wrap up, I'm going to be standing right here. We're going to sing a song just like we do every Sunday. And it doesn't matter if you've been sitting in these pews for two weeks or 35, 70 years, however long. If you don't have that confidence, let's settle that now because tomorrow could be too late. 1 p.m. could be too late. So what do we do with the confidence? How how, how do we know that we have this confidence? How, How do we walk in this confidence each and every day? He gives us one thing, one solution. That's his Holy Spirit. Because the presence of the Holy Spirit is the basis of our confidence. The presence of the Holy Spirit is the basis of our confidence. He says in verse 13, he says there, he says, by this, we know, we know. Here's the confidence. We have assurance. We are convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt. We know beyond all measure, this is real, that we abide in him and he in us. Why? Because he has given us his spirit. Can I submit to you today that the problem in the church in America is primarily a lack of following the spirit of God. It is a refusal on our part to surrender ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit of God to take his full measure, to take his full effect. Jesus didn't save some of you. He saved all of you. The Holy Spirit does not indwell just part of you. The Holy Spirit indwells all of you. And when the church of Jesus Christ gets real and serious about the Holy Spirit, we don't swing from chandeliers, but we do shake the foundations of the community and world around us because the Spirit of God has left His mark. Period. We don't need all the the frill and the fluff and everything else. We don't we don't need all of the tongues and the the jumping up and down and we don't need all the you know what was it Benny Hinn does like swoops his arm like this and people fly everywhere. We we don't need all that. What we need is a display of what the Spirit of God looks like in everyday life, not an emotional experience inside of a sanctuary. And he says here in this passage of scripture that this confidence you have is when you walk out and say the Holy Spirit of God is guiding me each and every day. Notice he says here that it's because he abides in us. He remains, he lives, he has has taken up residence. What you see here is a body of flesh. What I see out there are bodies of flesh. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, he takes that body of flesh and uses it as a vehicle to demonstrate the power of almighty God. We've got to get serious about what the Holy Spirit does. We've got to get serious about who the Holy Spirit is. We've got to get serious about the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives each day. This is why you'll hear me say time and time again, you can't look at church as a filling station. Most of us, we roll into church the way we roll into a gas station, man. We're teetering on E, the gas light's been out and it's sputtering because we're on fumes. We come into church and uh, maybe what we're looking at is uh, just putting $5 in the tank to get us by a little bit longer. Sometimes we put a little bit more in the tank because, hey, I've got $30 to spend on gas this week. No, 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 no. You come to church full because the Holy Spirit's been at work at you every day and the blid's going to blow off this place. Because we've been walking and acting and living and loving because of what the Holy Spirit has said and who the Holy Spirit has called us to be. And he says here in this passage of scripture, he has given us his Holy Spirit. So we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The Holy Spirit will guide you to belief in Christ Jesus, period. Each and every day. The Holy Spirit, that's, that's the mark. That's where the confidence comes. It comes from our belief in Christ Jesus. You don't get to believe in Christ Jesus unless the Holy Spirit is active in your life from the very beginning. See, the Holy Spirit does this. Jesus says over in John chapter 16, flip over here, John chapter 16, verses seven through 11, he says this. He says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Wait, Jesus said it's good for him to go? Absolutely, here's why. Because if I do not go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. Jesus literally says to his disciples in John chapter 16 and by extension to us, it is better for the universal presence of the Holy Spirit to be with us than the physical one place presence of Jesus Christ. We've got to get real with that. I believe I I believe maybe the most awesome thing in the world if Jesus was at our church right I'm not talking about glass Jesus up here I'm talking about like real Jesus like you could touch him you could shake his hand you could hug him man wouldn't that be great but Jesus said that's not what it's about it is better it is to your advantage it is the benefit of my kingdom my church and what I am doing here that I'm not here but that the Holy Spirit is because when Jesus came, he came in the flesh. And the flesh is bound to one place. But the Holy Spirit goes. And that's why we have worshipers in China and Indonesia and Malaysia and, and Baltimore and Atlanta. All over because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. He says, it's to your advantage. He goes, Because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit will not come. But if I do go, I'm going to send him to you. That's a promise. But he goes on. And he, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the, the world concerning sin. In righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they did not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Catch that? The ruler of this world's already been judged. And if you've got fear when it comes to judgment, it's because you're under his control and not under the control of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is going to guide you to believe in Christ Jesus. You will not confess the name of Christ Jesus, the Son of God, as your Savior if the Holy Spirit has not led you there. You will not confess the name of Christ Jesus. It says there in the book of Philippians that every knee will bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father that Christ Jesus is the Savior. And that happens under the authority of the Holy Spirit. Whether in this life when you say, you know what, that's the Savior I need. I'm coming to him and I have confidence before the throne of God because of Christ Jesus. Or you're going to do it under the work of the Holy Spirit after the judgment when you have no option on your way to an eternal separation from God to say that is the Savior and I missed it. Period. The Holy Spirit's gonna guide you to believe in Christ. And because he guides you to belief in Christ, this is the second mark that John gives and is the strong mark of who we are as, Christ, as followers of Christ. The Holy Spirit will guide me to love others. It is a shame and it is a travesty to see church after church after church Refuse to love others with the love of Christ. And they're all around us. They love themselves. They love their pastors. Ah, thank y'all for loving me. I'm glad y'all love me. That's not a bad thing to love your pastors, your staffs, your Sunday school teachers, your deacons, your church leaders. That's not a bad thing. But when it comes about that and it's not about loving others with the love of Christ, what we have done is we have substituted something other than the gospel for what is our motive and our motivation. And he says here in this passage of scripture, whoever confesses Jesus is the son of God abides in him and he of God. And we come to know and believe the love that God has for us. And he says, we love because God First, loved us. See, it's hard to love people. That's right. It's hard to love people. Friday, I was at the bank opening an account. And uh, the, the bank that we use just went through a merger with another bank and uh, this past week was the first full week that they were under the same umbrella and, and I'm sitting there and the, the bank manager is the one that's handling what we're working on and, and uh, she says, um, the, the, I'm learning, still learning the new process. And so if you don't mind being patient, it's going to look like I've got to do a lot more work than I need to. It's just this system is not as efficient and streamlined as the system that we had. I said, "Yeah, it's not a big deal, whatever. So I'm sitting there and uh, there's another guy that's from the corporate office that's taking every single teaching opportunity he possibly can for everything while I'm sitting there. What should have been about a 20 minute process was what was an hour and a half. over an hour and a half and I'm just sitting there twiddling my thumbs I'm thinking you know you could have just had like a seminar or a class to you know train the people how to do this and you know whatever and 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 the lady looks at me we're about two-thirds of the way through the process and she says thank you for being patient with me this is only the second time that I've opened an account under this new system and I'm really just trying to learn everything and I said no I understand um you probably will have other customers that that are rude to you and that just doesn't accomplish anything. And she said, yeah, unfortunately, that is the case. I said, you know, most of our jobs would be easier if we didn't have to deal with people. And she looked at me and said, well, what do you do for a living? (laughs) I said, I pastor a church. Can I be real with you? Pastoring would be a whole lot easier if it weren't for people. But as the book of Proverbs says, where there there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But without the strength of the ox, there are no crops. Loving people is going to be the hardest thing that you have to do as a follower of Christ because people are crazy, people are broken. But I want you to notice what John outlines for us. If someone, verse 20, says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, the one who loves God should also love his brother. This is what the Holy Spirit does in your life. It brings you to this confession and this belief in Christ because you have seen how great of a love God the Father has for you. And he changes your heart and he changes your mind and he changes your thought process to where you look at those, even those that are difficult, and say, if God loved me so much, how can I not love you? If God was so willing to overlook everything that was wrong in my life and all of my preferences that have gone awry, how could I not extend that same love, mercy, grace, and affection to you? To Close your eyes again. You're back in front of that throne. Are you confident or are you scared? This isn't a time to boast bravado that doesn't really exist. It's not time to strut like a peacock with the plumage out. It's time to be real. When the book is opened, do you have the confidence that your faith has been in Christ Jesus? That your faith has been in the blood of the Savior? That the Holy Spirit has carried you, has covered you, has lifted you.